your Bibles, if you would, and turn them to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. There are certain laws, whether we acknowledge them or not, whether we are aware of them, whether we have enough intelligence to know these laws, that govern a lot of different things in our lives. Every day, every moment of our lives, there are certain laws and certain things, whether you believe them or not, are taking place and in some ways holding things together. Um, One of those... Some of these you know really well. And so help me out with this statement. What goes up must, the law of gravity, yeah. Grateful for the law of gravity until I step on this scale. But every moment of every day, the law of gravity is in effect and it holds things together. If just for a second, if just for a moment, it went away and disappeared, this world would be absolutely chaos just like that. Um, Things would completely fall apart. But we have this law of gravity, whether we feel it, acknowledge it, or know it, that is is controlling certain things in our life. Here's another one. For every action, there is a equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, one of the laws of motion, one of Newton's laws of motion, and so forth. I really don't know what that means, but it's a great law that also determines and dictates a lot of different things in our life. The 32 degrees, what happens at 32 degrees? That's right. It's the difference between thawed meat and frozen meat. It's the difference between ice and a cup of water. And it's the difference between your refrigerator and your freezer. It's something that we depend upon, something that we're aware of, something that that whether we realize it or not, it's happening all the time. There are laws that determine our lives. There are laws that help things and hold things together within our lives that we live by that we don't even necessarily acknowledge that they're there, but they are. I want to introduce to you this morning a biblical law that is present at every moment, in every action, in everything we do. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we believe it or not, just as any other law that stands behind the scenes, so this law is working in our lives every day. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter who you are, this is a law that is active every day in our lives that the Apostle Paul brings to mention because it bears great weight in our life. It's a law that we need to understand and we need to know. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Draw your attention to Galatians chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 6 if you would stand in honor of God's word. Paul says this, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to his spirit, to the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You could be seated. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us this morning, illuminate your word into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul begins this law with a warning, do not be deceived. 
You need to be aware of this. You, you don't need to miss this. You don't need to pretend like this is not real, that this doesn't happen, or miss out on this, what he's about to say. And then he gives another warning. God is not mocked. That's a bold, a bold statement. The idea of mocking is to turn your nose up and to thumb your nose up at something. It's scorn. It's to fail to acknowledge the seriousness of his way and his word. Now, neither is the law of gravity mocked. If you scorn it, if you ignore it, it will find you out. It will deal with you. It will always be in place. What Paul is saying is, listen, you can't buck it. You can't get around it. And he's saying that about God and his way and his word. God is not mocked. We can ignore him. We can fail to acknowledge him. We can pretend he doesn't exist. But his word stands forever. And it will not return void. So here's the law. With that weight, Paul lays out for us something very simple, a metaphor drawn from the agricultural world that applies to every day of our life. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You can't outwit this law. Farmers understand this, that the crop you plant in the spring is the crop you harvest in the fall. There are no exceptions. That the seed you plant is the plant that grows. What you sow, you will reap. No exceptions. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much power you have, how many people answer to you or who you answer to. Whatever one sows, that will he reap. The law is in place in your life. So let's understand that law. There's two parts to it, real simple. The first part is this. We sow. We plant. We have two fields, Paul explains, that we sow. Notice verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now this goes back to what Paul has said in chapter 5, the the dichotomy he's placed uh, between the flesh and the Spirit, the battle that's taking place inside all of us who know Jesus Christ, that this raging war that's taking place between your flesh and your spirit. Paul is basically putting the responsibility back on us in this, saying that you have a choice to make, you have a place where you can plant, or a place where you can sow your life, a place that you can invest your time, energy, effort, thoughts, actions, and behavior, and there's only two options for you. There's only two places that you can plant, the flesh or the spirit. Now, sowing to the flesh is easy. It's natural. It's the most natural thing to come to our lives. We were born with a sinful nature and born with the ability to continually sow into it. You don't have to think about sowing the flesh. You don't have to try to sow the flesh. It's natural. Before Christ, it was the way of life. And after Christ, that doesn't go away. It's, it's easy to do. The flesh is the residence of sin that remains in our lives. It's the part of you that is broken. And the broken part continues to squeak in our life and dominate our life. 
That's sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh is pandering to its evil desires instead of letting the spirit subdue it. Sowing to the flesh is giving into the flesh, coddling to it, excusing it, justifying it, submitting to its passions. And every moment of your life, every breath you take, every thought you have, every action, every amount of energy, every second that goes by, you are either sowing to that or to the other, planting to the flesh. Or the second option, the second field is sowing to the spirit, planting to the spirit. The picture of this is one of preoccupation and investment of your life, of your thoughts, of your actions in the things of God rather than on the flesh. Paul describes it here in Galatians 5 as walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. In chapter 2, he speaks of Christ living in us. Jesus refers to it this way, abiding in him and his word abiding in us. Paul also speaks it elsewhere of walking in Christ, setting one's mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, giving one's body as a living and holy sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The same seconds, the same moments, the same heartbeats, the same actions, the same energy, the same thoughts, all of them, you have the option to either sow to the Spirit or to sow to the flesh. One way or the other, every moment of your life, every second, every word you say, Every thought you have, every action, every behavior, every attitude, every person you encounter, and what you do when you encounter them, how you feel about them, how you treat them, what you say to them, every dollar that you spend, you are putting seed in one of two soils. Where are you sowing? Where is your seed going? What are you doing and where is that directed? Now today, to your credit, I think all of us are here today in part in an attempt to sow to the Spirit. <laughs> well, let's just be honest, none of us come to church because, man, it just feels so carnal and good to go to church. No, we go to church because we know this is, this is what the people of God do. We want to be around people of God. We want to worship the Lord. And so, so this morning we've made a conscious choice to get up. Some of you brushed your teeth, combed your hair, put a decent amount of clothes on, and you've come to church. Why ultimately in this time to sow in the Spirit? We're doing that. You're doing it well. We're sowing in the Spirit today. We're investing our time, energy. Those of you that are watching online are doing the same. A lot of things you could be doing, watching outside something. But we're sowing to the Spirit. What about tomorrow? Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday. Every moment we plant.
We sow. And the second part of this law is just as simple as the first. We sow and we reap. There's two soils, flesh, spirit. And just as there are two soils of flesh and spirit, there's two harvests. There's two products. Only two. Very simple. Two results, two outcomes. Sowing to the flesh brings one outcome. Sowing to the spirit brings the other outcome. And you cannot change the outcome. The outcome is what it is. The seed will grow into what it will grow. Every farmer and gardener understands this. No one in the history of mankind has ever planted an apple seed and uniquely, remarkably, had a sunflower grow up. No one's ever planted Bermuda grass and rye grass grew up. It's as simple as that. A farmer knows intentionally placing the seed in the ground, doing all the things because he knows that eventually, if everything goes right, what will grow will be what is intended. What will grow will be this particular outcome. That if I plant an apple seed, I'm going to get an apple tree. That if I plant an, an acorn, I'm going to get an oak tree of some sort. That it's going to grow out, and there's no other outcome of that. Very, very simple. Predictable, immutable, impartial. Doesn't matter how much you sow. Doesn't matter who you are. Two soils, two outcomes. The outcomes, very simple. When we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh Corruption. This word corruption means destruction, decay. It conveys the idea of a corpse and the process of decomposition on that course. It's a picture of a breakdown. Sin makes things fall apart. That's what sin does, it's destructive nature. The ultimate outcome of sin, the ultimate outcome of sowing to the flesh is and can only be corruption, a breakdown. It may not be experienced at first, but 100% of the time, sin scores a perfect score of bringing about corruption. That's why the Lord says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Sin always bears destruction. It never gives joy or life. Sin will come home. The consequences cannot be held off forever. And the full play of this corruption, the ultimate outcome of this corruption, is not just a bad day, and it's not just a headache or a heartache, and it's not just something going wrong, such as bankruptcy or divorce. The ultimate consequence, the ultimate reaping of sin is what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The ultimate consequence, the ultimate reaping of sin is eternal death, which is why and the reason for the gospel law of salvation is ultimately a demonstration of the law of sowing and reaping. Jesus sowed 
perfect righteousness and reaped eternal life, which he gives to us when we trust in him and his finished work. The believer reaps eternal life in faith. He is united with Jesus and what he has sown on our behalf and reaped on our behalf. But God's law of cause and effect, sowing and reaping, still operates even in the lives of those who are saved from the ultimate reaping of corruption, of sin. While we will never reap, thank God, the ultimate consequences of sin and death and judgment, because Jesus reaped those for us, we still do continue to reap heartaches, the wounds, and the shame, and the pain. Sin always reaps corruption. And you know, by God's grace, you know one of the first reapings that sin has, sowing the flesh has, one of the very first reapings that it has that is actually a, a really helpful reaping is guilt. When you step into sin, when you're sowing into the flesh, if you know Jesus Christ, there is a sense that you feel guilt over what you've done. Now, the world says, no, we shouldn't feel guilt. But, you know, listen, righteous guilt is good guilt. That's a warning sign. That, that's, a, that's a reaping from our sin. And God sends that warning to us. God fires that off because his mercy is rich, his grace is wonderful. And we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's trying to prevent us. He's trying to save us from the deeper outcome of continuing to sow in the flesh. Because the sad thing is, is the more you sow, the more that grows. Just as John Stott said, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. And then reap a character. Sow a character. Reap a destiny. Listen, every time we hold a grudge, we're sowing, we're planting. Every time we withhold forgiveness, we are sowing and planting. Every time we, with a tightly clenched fist of greed, we're sowing and planting. Every time we act and speak in anger, we're planting. Every time we have a lustful look or a lustful thought, we are planting. Every time that we hold up our pride, we are planting. Every time we look upon another person with envy or bitterness, we're planting. Every time we gossip, we are planting. We are sowing, sowing, sowing. Do not be deceived. Our actions have serious, long-term, destructive consequences. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Yet we test it. We don't do this with other laws. I mean, 
If you question the law of gravity just a little bit, you're not going to be so foolish to this afternoon when you leave this church, you get in your car, you go up to a parking garage and say, man, I'm, I'm done with the law of gravity. I, I don't see it. I don't feel it. And I'm going to prove it wrong and then just drive off the parking garage to prove the law of gravity wrong. You, you don't do that. You know that no matter what you think, how you feel, how bold you are, that huh, it'll work. So you don't do that. But yet we test this one all the time. And you know what? As we test it, nothing happened. In fact, some good things that happened. I felt good. Other people said, yeah, that's right. You ought to do that. There was a good outcome. I I was prosperous. I was successful. That's where the weight of what Paul is saying is to not be deceived. God is not mocked. We sow, we reap. But there's a good side of that coin too. There's an incredible promise to this law too. You see, there's two places to sow. There's also two unique reapings. So do the flesh get corruption, but listen, so do the spirit and receive, what does he say? Eternal life. Look at what he says here in verse 8. But to the one who sows to the Spirit, from him will reap eternal life. This is the other side of Romans chapter 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. The counter destiny of sowing to the Spirit is just as glorious as the flesh is horrible. What we reap when we sow to the Spirit, what we reap when we invest our lives into the work of God and the things of God and walk by faith and in obedience and begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives is far greater than we could ever possibly imagine. He says, reap eternal life. Now this is not speaking of some works-based salvation, that if you do good things, you'll get eternal life. No, eternal life is seen in numerous different ways. Not only is it spoken of as salvation, but it's also spoken of as a reward to us. So in Jesus Christ, we are given eternal life. And that eternal life is not just speaking of the longevity of our life, but also the incredible rich quality of life. So in heaven, we get eternal life. And that doesn't just mean you live forever. Because to be honest with you, if just extending this life forever, it doesn't sound very fun, does it? No. Dude, we couldn't find gas this week. I don't want to do that forever. Had to wear a mask this year. I don't want to do that forever. If it just, eternal life just means extending life forever and that I don't ever have to die and I just get to live over and over and over. You know, the older I get, the more I ache. The more hair that falls out. I don't want to do that forever. That's punishment. See, eternal life isn't just the extension of life. It's also the depth and quality of life. The life that we have eternally is far different, far greater than this life today. And Paul says, 
We taste it now. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap eternal life in us. We participate in the eternal life when we sow to the Spirit. God's very own life. The life that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have enjoyed for eternity is graciously poured out in us through faith when we plant to the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul reminds us of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Having the eyes, verse 18, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You want the good life? You want a great life now. You want the best that you could possibly have. This is how Paul is laying this out for us. Very simple. Sow and reap. This is how it happens. This is how his kingdom comes on earth in us as it is in heaven. You can taste the glimpses and taste of heaven now as you sow, as you pour in every step of obedience that you take, every moment that you resist sin, everything that you submit to the Lord, every time you follow his command, every time you open his word and read his word, every time you allow the Holy Spirit to dominate and control the way that you act, every time you begin to look at people the way that Jesus looks at people and treat people the way that Jesus treats people, every dime that you invest in his kingdom, everything that you think, listen, what does God want me to do with this? And what does God want me to do with this time? You reap eternal life. So the warning is just simply this. Choose your soil, bro. Which one are you going to plant in? In the next five minutes of your life, where are you going to plant? In the next five months of your life, where are you going to plant? As you encounter this situation that comes upon you, where are you going to plant? As your resources are poured into you, where are you going to plant? As you breathe your breath, where are you going to plant? Because where you plant, this is what you get. You plant to yourself and to the flesh and to the sin. Corruption. You plant to the Spirit eternal life. We sow, we reap. But one more thing we reap in season. It's really helpful what Paul says in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I'm glad Paul put that in there because I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I, I, I mean, I've tried. I, I think we've all tried. Like, I've tried to sow. I, I've tried to do the right thing and treat people in certain ways and, 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 and give of myself and give of my time. I've acted out in faith. 
I mean, in fact, I wouldn't give any credit to us, but, but I think there's been some times in my life and in our family's life that we've done some really bold things for the Lord in faith. And can I be honest with you? I have not always liked the way it turned out. In fact, to be honest with you, sometimes I've looked at what I've done and thought, what in the world? God, did I not hear you right? Because what I thought would happen when I did that did not happen when, how, and the way I thought it would be. Case in point, you ever done something nice to somebody and they didn't say thank you? Who do they think they are? Have you ever gone out of your way to be compassionate and generous and, and loving and poured out of yourself to someone and it's almost as if they take it for granted or act as though they expect it. Have you ever forgiven someone and it didn't fix the relationship? That's why Paul says this right here. Listen, listen. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Why does he say that? Because we grow weary of doing good. Because not all the times does the Bible, does life work like Chick-fil-A, where you place your order you pay your money, and you get your food in one minute. Very often not. Even though God invented the chicken, and Chick-fil-A invented the chicken sandwich. None of that runs by God's schedule. This process of sowing and reaping does not work on a necessarily predictable timetable. That's where the illustration of agriculture falls short. You plant in the spring, you water, you weed, you fertilize, Enough sun, enough rain, and you will undoubtedly harvest in the fall. But that is not the way this sort of sowing and reaping works. We understand this on the flesh side. Because how many times have we sowed to the flesh, have we taken action in sin, have we acted in anger or acted in lust or done something that is wrong and there were no consequences? There were no immediately getting caught or feeling guilt or having things fall apart. It's the same way on the other end. Following Jesus can make you weary. Doing what is right, sharing the gospel, doing ministry, having compassion. It can all be damped by the coldness of others, corrupted by legalism and license. Faced by ungrateful, unworthy, the needs can overwhelm, laziness can set in, hypocrisy can boil up. We can be discouraged. God's not going to reap, that it was a waste that it was pointless, that it wasn't worth it. What Paul is reminding us is this. The law of sowing and reaping also carries with this promise. In due season, we will reap. And nothing sowed 
goes unharvested. So keep sowing, keep resisting, keep bearing burdens, keep preaching, sharing, loving, keep trying, keep doing good, and see. While farming is predictable, the spiritual harvest is not predictable. It is in the sovereign hands of God. But it's laced with promise. And when God says something, he will deliver. There's a great illustration of this in the life of one of our brothers from many centuries ago. His name was William Carey. And he was called to missions to India. He was, he was really the first missionary to go to India with the gospel. In, and in 1793, he and his family left England and by faith went to India to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a bold move of faith and obedience on their part. Nothing like this had ever been done. They were following God's will. And for seven years, it was absolute hell. They lost a five-year-old son. They all contracted malaria. And William's wife began to suffer greatly from mental illness. So to the point that eventually it hospitalized her for the rest of her life. It was difficult. But one of the things that we all celebrate when things get difficult is, is, the, is the fruit that's coming up, right? Like, like we can endure some tough stuff if we see some good results. That's always been kind of my backbone is like I can go through some tough stuff as long as there's some good things too. Like I can endure a storm if I know that there's going to be a plants that come up. I mean, I can deal with it necessarily. I know that I can go for the valley as long as there's a mountaintop on the other side. But not so for the Carey family. For seven years after facing all of this, not one convert to Jesus. Persecution, rejection, kicked out of place after place after place while they're sick, while they're running out of money, while they're going crazy, while they're dying. Really discouraging. In fact, William wrote this to a group of people that supported him back home. He says this, I feel like a farmer does about his crops sometimes. I think the seed is springing, and thus I hope. But a little blast at all, and my hopes are gone like a cloud. What I realized I thought was spring, a seeding spring, was only weeds which were appearing. Or what I thought was a little corn sprung up, it quickly died, either being choked with the weeds or being parched by the sun of persecution. Yet, I still hope in God and will go forth in his strength and make mention of his righteousness, if of his only. After seven years, on December 28, 1800, William Carey baptized his first Hindu convert 
And it wasn't long after that that there was a mighty harvest of souls saved to Jesus. Baptist Missionary Society began, which began the modern day missions movement. And in his lifetime in India, Kerry and his co-workers saw thousands upon thousands of people saved, churches planted, and were able to translate 209 Indian dialects, were able to translate the Bible in those dialects. It's a law, sowing and reaping. But it's also a promise. Just keep planting. Just keep sowing. Because God is faithful. He'll give the growth in your life. Before we moved to Charlotte, there was a person that the Lord had really laid upon my life um, to lead to the Lord. And um, we developed, or I developed a relationship with him probably about um, six or seven years before we moved to Charlotte. Um, most of the time that I was there, um, he was a rough guy. To be honest with you, he was a jerk. In some levels, he was good. He was a good guy. That was my wife laughing, by the way, because she knows him. Um, in some ways, he was a good guy, but we always kind of crossed paths and stuff. I don't know why I was drawn to this guy, um, mostly because he was the butt of a lot of jokes, and um, I really don't know. But, but I developed a friendship with him, and I began praying that the Lord would give me an opportunity to lead him to Christ. In fact, I really thought what an awesome testimony it would be if this guy came to faith in Christ. And how much would that mean to our community? How much would that mean to our church? Um, and so I really began praying and developing a relationship with him. We crossed paths. We, we even ran together a little bit. We fished together a little bit. Um, he worked with my boys on some of their sports. Um, and, and we developed a friendship. In fact, it was kind of so known that we were friends. I remember being at certain basketball games and baseball games where he was thrown out of the game and everybody would look at me as like, you ain't doing your job, pastor. I remember a fight that broke out and I was like, I don't know if I can be Shane's friend anymore. I don't know that I can do this anymore. And um, when we felt the Lord leading us to a new pathway and a new church to serve, I got real burdened about Shane, knowing that there was only going to be a number of months before, and I hadn't had a chance to bring him to that place of, of trusting Christ. We'd come close, man. We'd come close. We got up to the finish line. He just wouldn't cross it. And so for the next six months, man, I began praying harder, started coming to church with us on a regular basis, and at least a dozen times, I talked to him straight up, bringing him to the place and point of like, the ball's in your court, man. You got to give your life to Christ. Let's do it right now. And he wouldn't do it. I remember Sundays that I would be preaching, and when I came to the invitation, I would be looking directly at him the entire time, like just honing in on, like just going all the way up to the edge of saying, dude, besides this, dude, get your butt down the aisle. I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say it with my face, with my eyes. 
as we pointed our cars east, never happened. And I carried weight and I carried burden about that. I was deeply bothered by that because nobody else had displayed that sort of patience. I didn't feel like the new pastor that would come along would be that way. Our staff was not going to be that way with him. He rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I just felt like this was it for him. And I just, I was broken and burdened. A year ago, he got baptized. Listen, I only say that to say this. Just a small demonstration. You plant, he reaps. You sow, in his time, you'll reap. So the question is, where are you sowing? Where have you been sowing with your habits and lifestyle and thoughts? Are you sowing in his kingdom? Are you sowing in your flesh? And if you're sowing in his kingdom, just keep sowing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises and we thank you for your word that it can be trusted that it can be lived by, that it's so applicable to our lives, that it's, I mean, it's, it's 24-7, 365, every situation type stuff, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that, that you'd help us to see that every moment that you give us is a moment to reap eternal life or a moment to reap corruption. Every moment is a moment to, to, heart, to reap and to, to sow into people and to your kingdom. Or to sow to ourselves and to sow to our sin. And I pray that you would convict us very heavily of where we are spending that and where we are pouring that in. Even right now, you would help us to endure and to keep persevering and to stay faithful because you are the faithful one. You always fulfill your promise. You never let your children go. And you always give life to faith so help us to have faith and obedience in you if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you have never sowed your life to Jesus Christ sowed your faith invested your faith in Jesus Christ and turned your life over to him then you will not reap eternal life you're reaping corruption you're reaping death so Jesus Christ came to this earth to give his life for you. He sowed his life in the flesh so that you could reap eternal life, and he offers it to you. Would you turn your life over to him today? Would you trust in him? Would you place your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved today? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond. For those of you that are online and ready to give your life to Christ, if you'll text the word Jesus to the number, or if you'll hang on for just a second to our virtual lobby, they'll be glad to speak with you about that. Others of you here in this room, in a moment when we stand and sing, you stand up, you step out in that aisle, and you come and talk to one of our pastors, myself, Scott, others. We would love to talk with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Make that decision today. And for others of you, you need to make the decision today 
to sow in the right place. Because the truth be told, if you're anything like me, there are many moments, there are many situations and circumstances, there are many chances, there are many times that we do not sow to the Spirit, but we're sowing to the flesh. And it could very well mean you've developed habits in sowing to the flesh. You've developed a lifestyle of sowing to the flesh. And you may not see the results right now, but if you hear anything, what you sow, you reap. Be warned today and respond to Him who is compassionate and gracious and merciful and loving and restoring if you'll turn to Him and repent. Whatever it is this morning, you respond today as God is calling, as we have a time of invitation. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.